We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, Courtney. We're back again after a little bit of a hiatus. Hi, Craig. How are you going? Yeah, very well. So we're joining us, we're joining each other um, <laughs> in the week after Easter. Yeah, yeah. Did so you have a, a good, uh, good break over the weekend? I think having four yeah. days off was quite nice. Extended. Although, yeah, I don't know whether you had the same thing, but uh, I definitely worked on my PhD. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, yep. had, yeah, had a bit of life admin to do, um, but yeah, took it fairly easy otherwise, which was nice. nice. Yeah, and we're blessed to be living somewhere where we get more sunshine than than not. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. It was a great yeah. weekend. <laughs> makes life a bit easier. It makes it a bit easier to get out of bed <laughs> in the mornings. But, yeah, it's definitely getting a bit cooler. Yes, it is. It's um, my just on a tangent in the introduction because why not? Um, my, my partner and I are doing 6 a.m. early wake-ups this month. So this year we're kind of doing these 30-day challenges and, yeah, April is a uh, uh, wake-up at 6 a.m. every day. It's been great. I've had to uh, – got to watch the sunrise every morning, which is mm-hmm. really nice, but it is getting colder. What's what's the theory behind this 6 a.m. wake-ups? Uh, that – is implying that we thought about the pros and cons of it. It was more of like um, something to do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like uh, we kind of sleep in on the weekends and things, so we thought maybe we'd try and get more out of our day or see what it feels like, basically. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my wake-ups have been pre-6 a.m. recently mm-hmm. um, just because we've got a, a fairly young puppy. Oh, of course. Yeah, yes. who likes attention. Um, yes. when, and they always like attention at about five thirty. So yeah, yeah. So as it gets, as the the mornings are a bit darker and it gets light a bit later, he's actually maybe sleeping a bit longer, which is good. But oh, yeah, we've certainly nice. had a few early mornings. Yeah. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Um, should we uh, introduce the podcast though? <laughs> we should. We could talk about puppies and six a.m. wake ups for hours. But we should. Oh, dear. Um, yes. Yeah. So who have we got this week, Courtney? So uh, this week for you, we have part three of our Doors Wide Open series. We have Tanya on the podcast, who is another um, uh, co-worker employee of Doors Wide Open. Um, And she uh, tells us all about her experiences and uh, why she works for Doors Wide Open and how she got to where she is. That's right. Yeah, so she's another peer support worker, part of the peer support team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe she was is work, actually, she'll tell us herself, but I believe she's working in the housing first side of the program where they try to find housing for p- people who are in a, a very acute need of housing. That's right. And um, so. as a, the other couple of series that you may have listened to, this one also I think does come with a slight warning of, you know, drug use and uh, uh, some pretty – I find very interesting uh, life stories, but can be a little uh, scary for others. Or what's yeah. the word I'm looking for? It's not traumatic, yeah. but yeah, on the it can same be, line. it can be triggering. Triggering, um, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, so we do we do discuss mental illness in in detail, and obviously Tanya will go into more detail about what her particular mental illness is and, and mm-hmm. was. Um, but yeah, well, without further ado, let's let Tanya tell you a bit more. Just a quick note, uh, we neglected to mention in our introduction that the topics of um, family and domestic violence and suicide also come up in this chat with Tanya, so just a trigger warning for anyone who might be affected by that. 
is comfortable for you. Just as long as it's sort of pointing pointing at you, that's the main thing. Yeah. So it gives me a great pleasure to welcome Tanya to the podcast. Welcome, Tanya. Oh, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, no, thanks very much for your time today. It's, um, so far, we've, we've obviously chatted with a couple of your colleagues and yeah. it's been really interesting. Yeah, it's kind pre- of like a little mini-series we've got going down here <laughs> yeah. in Bunbury. It's good, yeah. 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 So, so you're, you are involved with Doors Wide Open and are you also a peer support worker? Yes, yeah. yeah I'm a peer support worker. I um, was a service user, so I walked through the gates in 2016, mm-hmm. um, addicted to methamphetamine, mm-hmm. met Lena um, for the second time. And, uh, yeah, they saved my life, mm-hmm. like just having somewhere to belong. Mm-hmm. took me a while to feel comfortable, but through addiction I'd lost everyone, my entire family, mm-hmm. and they had to do it for their own protection. They had to yeah. to put their walls up, so I understand that now. But, yeah, I was very alone and very dark, and I'd been through hospital, through the emergency room a few times, trying to end my life and scream for help. And um, it's just the nature of the beast of the drug, really. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. Life doors is now now my life. Yeah. yeah. Completely. So, how long have you been working at doors? Um, started in April last year. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we had a bit of a changeover of staff at one stage. Yeah. Um, so the lady who started doors um, needed 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 to do something while her her cup was empty. Mm-hmm. Needed to recharge, so she's moved away, and we've we've stepped in and tried to. To facilitate it as best we can to keep keep the yeah. the core, uh, the heart of doors going, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And so, what what do you do on a like a typical day? Like, what's what's your job? <laughs> okay, yeah. um, a few different things. So yeah. we we've contracted out to housing first support services. Yeah. Um, so you've spoken to Miranda. I work with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that outreach work for the chronically mm-hmm. homeless in Mumbrae twice a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, really, outdoors, it's a matter of trying to create a space where people can come in no matter where they are in their stage of life, whether they're a, a parent or a, an addict, if they're an addict themselves, if um, they're a family member or a friend, just to create a space where they feel like they can be listened to and mm-hmm. accepted for whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the day-to-day stuff at Doors is doing that. So it's running some programs, it's creating really feeling the crowd a lot of the time, you know, having circles or meditation, um, having quiet one-on-one chats with people. Um, we've got a really good vast range of workers there. So we've got one person who is recovery-focused. He lives and breathes recovery, and you'll be speaking to him next. Mm-hmm. Um, he's amazing. We've got someone who's very – Adam, our team leader, mm-hmm. yeah. very um, stoic and mm. – yeah. Yeah, really knows his stuff and very straight talking. And then me, and I'm just a bit of a all over the place. <laughs> but you need one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rounds off the team. It does, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so something that seems quite typical of um, the sorts of people you would have to deal with at Doors is that they have a lot of things going wrong in their lives mm. on, you know, many different levels. Um, and you've obviously got some lived experience yourself. Mm. Are you happy to sort of tell us what you've been through? Yeah, that, absolutely. That, you know, can yeah. benefit them? Um, well, everyone's so different. Everyone's story is so, so vastly different. I had a relatively easy childhood. We never wanted anything. Um, Mum and Dad both worked and loved us and fed us and clothed us and everything like that. And when it wasn't until I had high school that I really felt disconnected. Mm-hmm. I didn't belong anywhere. 
Um, I couldn't make friends or groups or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I became sexually active, I found that um, that gave me my self-worth, which I know Mm -hmm. is completely unhealthy, but I didn't realise it at the time. It's like some power. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, Somebody wanted me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I grew up uh, going through my teenage years. Um, I became pregnant very young. So I was 15 when I became pregnant, 16 when I had my first daughter. And I had three children by the time I was 21 um, to three different fathers. Mm I didn't think anything of it at the time. I was just doing what I needed to do every day to feed my kids. And yep. was, I was working, I worked in pharmacy, um, started working when I was 22 in pharmacy for, for many years. Um, and then I met a, a, a guy in New Zealand and um, he was very abusive. We got married um, despite all of that. And um, it wasn't until I caught him cheating on me that I felt like I could leave him. Mm. The abuse mm-hmm. wasn't enough to make me leave him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That wasn't tangible. Yeah. He always said sorry. Yeah. He always had a reason or an excuse for it. But finding him in someone else's bed, that was real. So I rang up my, my parents. They knew what he was like. And Dad said, look, stop putting brick walls up. Get yourself over here. So two weeks later, me and my 13-year-old daughter turned up to Australia with a suitcase each and started a new life over here. Um, I met my partner who I'm still with now. Um, I have a history of making really rash decisions and not thinking them through and mm-hmm. and um, thinking about consequences and that, I suppose. And we ended up fostering two children, uh, beautiful, beautiful girls for two years. Unfortunately, the stresses of that led to um, an incident and a relationship breakdown between me and my partner and then I found myself with three kids in a house I couldn't afford, not able to get the benefit because I'm not a citizen Mm -hmm. and I turned to um, prostitution Mm -hmm. um, which opened drugs to me for the first time so I think I was about 34 when I first tried meth and I was introduced to it through the needle, mm-hmm. okay. not, not smoking oh, it, so yeah, straight okay. straight in there. Yeah. And then that obviously destroyed my life. So from there I started pushing everyone away and when they found out I tried to end my life, mm-hmm. I ended up in hospital and I had a, um, a mental health review for the first time in my life and was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm which now understanding it, it makes a lot of my decisions in life <laughs> really make sense. Yep. Yeah. Um, does it, it doesn't, you know, make them okay, but I certainly am living a lot better now that I know how to, why my thinking is the way it is. Yep. Yeah. Um, so with that diagnosis, I went to rehab. Um, I went to a rehab, I won't name names, but it was a rehab up north somewhere. And it was very run, run by a church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the middle of nowhere where for three months we weren't allowed to see counsellors or doctors because they were the devil. We had to pray right. twice a day. Right. So it's pretty hardcore religious. Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. Okay. A gentleman broke his wrist, so they baptised him. Okay. And put a bandage Sorry, around I it. I shouldn't make noise. But, um, <laughs> that's really interesting, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was that was really hard. It was in, yeah up north. It was very hot in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. I ma- managed for about two and a half months actually. I think it was. And I came back down. 
my family was sort of hoping that that was going to be the the thing that changed me and they'd have their daughter back, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. I I just had it more and more and more. I got back with my partner then, so we had about a year break. Mm -hmm. Um, He moved back in to help support me, but he didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, the support out there for families is just so hard to find. Even knowing how to reach out um, is impossible and that's why Doors Wide Open was started, to help support those family members. Yep. So my partner basically put his walls up. We were living in separate bedrooms in the same house for, for quite a while. We would see each other passing in the hallway when I needed to have a shower or something to eat. I'd go back to the bedroom and mm-hmm. continue doing what I was doing um, and then I just I got tired of being so lonely and dark and the, the feeling on my stomach was growing and growing and it was it was a, it felt like a solid feeling like mm-hmm. something you can pick up and touch but it was dark and heavy and it hurt and it just yeah. started con- to consume me yeah. and I remember going to the doctors one day because I just wanted help and he wouldn't there was nothing the doctor could give me and yeah. I I was so upset I could barely talk throughout through the crying yeah. and the pain. Mm-hmm. And then it was that night I got home and I saw on Facebook um, somebody, I'd actually put a, put a message out, an anonymous message on Facebook asking for help and somebody said try doors wide open. So I contacted them the next day and beautiful Lena offered to come and see me at my house because I had blocked myself away for years. Mm-hmm. I had going to the supermarket would just, absolutely terrify me mm-hmm. yeah. um but yeah she did and yeah the first first day I walked into doors and we, we'd known each other from when I first moved over to Australia me and Lena um she hired me I worked for her in a pharmacy for about six months to cover some holidays mm-hmm. and yeah when we saw each other again we just broke down and cried and hugged and it was really what changed my life mm. it's taken a long time but um Mm-hmm. I've got the respect back for my family now. Yeah, all of them. Okay. Um, so you meant you mentioned that your your introduction into meth use was through doing sex work, mm-hmm. and then that those two things sort of came hand in hand together. How mm. how long was that period of your life? Mm. How long did that last? Um, the actual sex work itself. Yeah. Um, probably a good year and a half. Okay. Yeah. And then the drug use on top of that. The drug use. So I was I've never been, other than smoking a bit of pot when I was younger, I've never yeah. touched drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, my, when, when I call them clients, yeah. would come in and I knew that they were, they were pinging, they were high. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, somebody would say, oh, do you mind if I have some? And I said, I oh, know that, that's fine. So then that became accepted in, in my own, you know, mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. them using it. And then normal. after a while, the interest yeah. started to, to spike. And I was like, because mm. mm. I was offered it and offered it and offered it. Yeah. Mm. And then... Before within within about two months, I was taking it for payment, looking for it for payment, right? And okay. I'd do anything. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And and so, what prompted you to stop sex work then? My partner. Okay. Coming back into my life. Right. Okay. Um, trying to scratch the very last moral that I had left that yep. the drug hadn't stripped from me, trying to just have some sort of foundation of goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and at the, and all, while all this is going on, you mentioned you had a couple of foster kids and then mm. um, a child that you had moved from New Zealand. With yes, you. so my 
my daughter moved with her boyfriend and his family when things all came out what was happening. Okay. The two foster kids went with a fan, another family member mm-hmm. until they were reunited with o- their mum. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and am I right, if I'm doing the maths right, you, you had a couple of other kids in New Zealand as well? Yes, yes, yeah, so and, I've got two older children. And they've grown up Yes. by that stage? Yeah. Right, okay, all right. Yeah, so my, my, my son lived with his father mm-hmm. and so when I moved over here, um, he stayed there with his girlfriend and my oldest daughter was up in Auckland um, trying to get you through uni. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, yeah, they, okay. they had their own things going. Yeah, all right. And so when you, when you came into contact with Doors... What was the process for you getting better, you know, starting to address some of the, the issues that you had? And There, there wasn't, I, I wouldn't even say, I'm not aware of a process that happened to me. Okay. It was simply I had a place where people believed what I was saying and what I was feeling was real. Yep. Every doctor had labelled me, every psychiatrist had labelled me, um, and they were treating this little box above my head called drug addict mm-hmm. and not anything else in my life whereas mm-hmm. I walked into doors it doesn't matter if I was what walking to celebrate or if I literally there's so many times I've walked in there there's a couch at the front office and I've fallen on that couch and pain and cried and I've just been embraced and and mm-hmm. got to just just talk and have someone listen to me and mm-hmm. believe me mm-hmm. And because I had lost all my family mm. and all my friends I'd pushed everyone away mm-hmm. um, having that just that, just that one thing, that one person, that one place where I could be me made yeah. such a difference. Mm. And that that, that kind of, those kind of thoughts and feelings tie back to how you felt at school mm. as well when mm. you first became mm. sexually active. Mm. It was that feeling of having someone there yeah. for you. Yeah, 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 needing needing that. And a lot of that's got to do with borderline personality disorder as well, Not mm-hmm. just not having any self-worth and any confidence in myself and always needing it from outside sources. Yeah. yeah. And so I think the drugs for a while in the beginning, they gave me that self-confidence yeah. and they made mm-hmm. me feel beautiful and sexy and confident. And, and then, of course, that, that is a very fleeting feeling with, with me. Mm. Yeah. So borderline personality is quite a complicated mm. um, condition yeah. and but we're still finding out about it really. I mean, psychology and psychiatry kind of meet. There's a, there's a new name for it, I is think. There? Yeah. Okay. I only know the, it's like EUPD and I don't remember what the E and U stand for, okay. unfortunately. Um, is, it, is, yeah. this, is this part of the DSM-5? Yeah, I think it? so. Something, okay. something unstable personality disorder. Right, okay. Um, yeah, so there is a new name for it. Okay. That, so that sounds like me. We'll do, <laughs> something unstable we'll some, personality disorder. We'll do some homework on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what did, what did you learn about that particular condition and, and yourself through mm. this whole process because mm. everyone listening probably might not know the ins and outs of borderline personality so it'd be interesting yeah. to hear what you think. Yeah. yeah. So I learned that my brain was basically living on an adrenaline rush 24-7. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be spiked some, something that somebody would maybe encounter an issue at work or at home that you'd, you'd work through and you'd deal with. You might feel a little bit upset or a little bit excited and, you know, and, and you go through the motions and that. But with borderline personality disorder, there is no little bit. Okay. Mm. So I can have a full adrenaline rush 
by just someone just upsetting me in the smallest bit, which then, of course, makes me react, overreact. Mm-hmm. And then I'm always, because my life has always been these huge highs, very quick highs and lows over very minor things, mm-hmm. I overthink because yeah. mm-hmm. I'm always, I would rather know what the future's going to bring than have to have that peak in that because if I know, then that gives me power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's where we like to have control over situations. A lot of people with borderline personality disorder don't handle the unknown. Um, the feelings of being abandoned are really strong as well because there's a set lack of self-worth mm-hmm. and, and belief. So you're always questioning and overthinking your relationships and mm-hmm. um, looking for signs that aren't really there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and was it was it comforting to know when you got that diagnosis? After a while, after yes, while? it definitely yeah. is now. Yeah. So the biggest thing I've done is dialectical behavioural therapy mm-hmm. (DBT). Mm-hmm. That has changed my life as well, and through recovery, that's such you can't do one without the other. You can't yep. just get clean off meth and not worry about the rest of your mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where the system fails a lot. They just look at the one problem, but it's not. It's just so, everything's so intertwined. Yeah. And um, being able to finally have that yeah. that mm-hmm. diagnosis and work on that has definitely helped my recovery. We probably don't have enough time to go through it into minute detail, mm. but can you give us broad brush strokes about dialectical behavioural therapy and what, what you do in, during that therapy? Yeah. Um, so it's really trying to control your um, train of thought and rationalise what's real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the more you, you, it does take a lot of practice. Um, so for example, I catastrophize mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And so it's trying to train my brain that I don't need things when they, when they're going bad. I don't need, I'm not in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there might be smoke, but there's no fire. Yeah. So it's really training, training myself to stop, breathe, think and rationalize, put my feet back down on the ground um, so a lot of mindfulness meditation with um, that therapy, mm-hmm. um, bringing yourself mm-hmm. back into yourself and what's real because you just get carried away too yeah. easily. So it's reframing things so that you your perception of something that's happened, you don't assume the worst, you might assume the best or somewhere mm. in the middle rather mm. than going, right, that's awful and now I'm, my life's in chaos. Yeah, what am I going to do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that seems to be a feature of borderline personality from some of the psychologists I've spoken to is that they, you sort of go between really intense feelings of love and affection to really intense feelings of hatred and, mm. you know, kind of, mm. you know, wanting to get away from somebody. Yeah. Has that sort of been your experience over the years? I've been very lucky where I haven't had the extreme anger that a lot of, that, well, not a lot, but some of the people I've spoken to have, have, have had, and it is, a, it is a symptom of borderline personality is mm-hmm. aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, I do get my back up really quickly and I do get to very defensive, but I'm not violent. Okay. Um, there has been the odd time where a cup's been thrown, but okay. <laughs> um, I feel like we've when I was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in that respect, I'm, I'm quite lucky. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I just get very angry at myself internally. Yeah. I'm a passive aggressive. Okay. Mm. The funnest type. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, your your current partner has been your partner for a, quite a while. It sounds like yes. you had a bit of a break in between and and yeah. whatnot. And so through this process, has has your relationship with them changed? It's grown. Yeah. It's man. I don't <laughs> think that there's anything more a, a, a couple can go through and fight tooth and nail for each other mm-hmm. 
Um, so he also had um, his issues, like drank a lot and mm-hmm. the wrong type of drink. And, okay. Um, we've really supported each other through the worst that life could throw at us. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think the reality of the fact that we are each other's best friends and we've got each other's back no matter what now yeah. mm-hmm. um, is... is yeah, unreal. Yeah. And great. so you guys support each other through the recovery process because yep. he mm. will, yeah, keep going. So, yeah, 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 yep, mm. indeed. Awesome. And so now you've ended up in a essentially housing first yep. role. Yep. Now, do you have much experience with homelessness or that sort of thing? I was extremely lucky not to have personal experience with homelessness. Mm-hmm. I should have. Um, my partner should have kicked me out. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he coped at the time was to put his walls up and pretend I wasn't there, mm-hmm. yeah. which kept, which is the only reason that I'm not. I, I didn't end up on the streets because yeah. I don't know how I would have gotten through if I had to face all that as well. Yeah, that's just that would have been another nightmare on top of a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what what are you seeing with the people people who come into the service these days? Like what what sort of needs and and uh, issues have they got? Into doors wide open. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so varied. So, like I said before, we've got family members that come and we've got people in recovery. We've got some long-term recoveries coming back and just for that familiar connection and want to help. Mm -hmm. We find that a lot of people in the early stage of recovery are just so desperate to give back. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, it's finding that self-worth, making yourself feel good by helping others. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of volunteers. Okay. Um, A lot of people in early stages of recovery just yeah they they need that fulfillment right mm-hmm. and so okay so the big volunteer group um what do they do like what what roles do they have um so everything from we've got a huge amount of donations um of clothing and and materials oh, yeah. and things so we're trying we're just about now to got our back room set up yep. um it's taken a long time so a lot of that there's gar- there's gardening there's general cleaning maintenance um Mm-hmm. Things like that. We've mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. a couple of volunteers now who are um, helping out with our groups. So mm-hmm. we've got a shout out to Terry, who's amazing. He's um, he's a he's a volunteer and a long time friend of Doors, and he comes and does the cooking with me every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's nice. Yeah. Mm. Hi. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you have a minute and enjoy the conversations we bring you. It'd be great if you could go to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a quick rating and review. Not only do we love to get your feedback, but it also helps other people to find us. Thank you. And now back to the show. I'm curious. So you've got people at different stages of their recovery. You said a lot that are in the early stages. And I'm assuming um, with that often comes people who might uh, relapse or you know have a bit of a moment where they, they go a bit backwards because that seems to be part of a lot of people's journey. Mm, yes. Does that happen a fair bit, yep. you know, and, and how do you guys deal with that? Um, yeah, it, it's part of recovery. Yep. Um, lapsing and relapsing are quite different. So mm-hmm. um, someone that's, that, that lapses is somebody who is trying to get better, has a slip up, wakes up the next day and goes, I'm going to keep going and mm-hmm. I'm off my recovery. Mm-hmm. Um those you just you don't, you don't treat them any different. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't failed mm-hmm. because they've gotten up the next day and gone. I can I can keep doing this. I'm yep. I'm strong. Yeah. But then there's a difference with relapse. And then a relapse is when somebody wakes up the next morning and goes, "Now nah, I'm going to use again." Yeah. And I'm going to use again. And I'm going to okay. use again. So that's when when that happens, we'll generally find that people will stop coming in. Okay. For They'll a while. just stop volunteering. Then, yeah. yeah. And then. Mm. 
they'll go through the motions and, and then they'll come in and have a wee chat and yeah. we'll try and figure out, you know, what was happening around that time in their life that yep. that and uh, work from there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, interesting. Yeah. And so what are you, what are you um, planning to do as time goes on? I'm assuming you've got sort of aspirations and yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. So I'm um, doing my cert four in alcohol and other drugs at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just about to start my cert three in business mm-hmm. um, through trainingship at work. Um, I would, you know, ideally, let's talk in a in a beautiful world where we all win lotto. Yeah. Mm. Um, I want to replicate doors. I'd yeah. like to go mm-hmm. back, take that back home, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah, and um, have the service over there because it's mm. just lacking it's yeah. just so needed and they don't have anything like this yeah right yeah, yeah. a peer-led support where you, yeah. yeah yeah and i guess because you would be able to really see the benefit of how doors mm. really affects people um mm. does does doors is it just in like the bunbury area or mm. yeah so really we could actually use something like that all up Western Australia as well. Yeah, yeah. certainly yeah. in the regions like this, there are services like that in in Perth. Yeah, but certainly in some of the regions, you know, I'm thinking Broome and mm. you know mm-hmm. um, Carnarvon and these sorts of places. Yeah, I'd say that they all have similar issues. Yeah, you know? yeah, Geraldton and Geraldton's another mm. great example. Mm-hmm. I know there's there's some housing first stuff being done in Geraldton now. They've I think the Zero oh, yeah. Project. Oh yeah, has yeah. now started up there. Yeah. Um, there's actually a lot of unused vacant houses up there um you know mm. there's, there's some suburbs in Geraldton that are maybe a bit problematic and some people don't want to live there and that sort of thing due to yeah. social issues and yeah but yeah there's a lot of house there's a bit of housing stock there that doesn't get used yeah, and okay. there's obviously people sleeping rough and you think those two things line really, up yeah. <laughs> even here in Bunbury there's yeah, sure so the many properties yeah there's mm. some perfect properties to a, a shelter which just keeps getting shelved and shelved I'm sure right. mm. anyone that's listening from Bunbury will have heard about the bus are uh, the um old fire station ah mm-hmm. uh, yeah and the mm. contamination which seems to have been cleaned because now the police are using it for their training mm-hmm. every week but that's ideal it's got two areas where there's two different kitchens and showers and toilets mm. and bedrooms mm-hmm. and yeah yeah just work mm. out really well yeah. mm. so, so you mentioned taking this back home i'm assuming you're talking about new zealand yes. yeah. <laughs> yes. do you want to give the listeners a bit of um, context about how things are in new zealand and you know whether it's mm. this, the same sort of issues or whether there's slight differences that make yeah, make them different like. in new zealand so I never really had much to do with this over in New Zealand. I did, wasn't using drugs over there. Mm-hmm. I did go back on holiday for three months um, at the end of 2017 and tried to access some support for mm-hmm. myself. Um, it's it's very outdated mm-hmm. knowledge right. and way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So when I went in for an assessment to see about getting some counselling, the general census that I was given was it's it's um it's my fault it's my choice hmm. and I f- I was blamed for everything instead of over here you, you there is a lot better understanding of the reality of situations yes I made a choice at the beginning yeah. um stupid a lot of and, and and again and again but yeah. there t- comes a time where it's more of a necessity than a choice yeah and that. I didn't find that that was understood over there at all. Yeah. Because mm. um, it sounds like perhaps there might have been an opportunity to identify and knew that you had like a borderline personality issue mm-hmm. earlier on in your life mm. and maybe you fell through the cracks of the system there 
And then obviously over here, perhaps the system was able to, to pick that up, pick a, up bit, yeah. a bit better. Yeah. And that might not have been the case in, in WA until more recently as well, but obviously it's hard to say. Oh, um, look, um, I, I think I was lucky that I was in the hospital on that day at the particular time when that particular doctor was on because yeah. it might not have been picked up again. Yeah. I've been misdiagnosed with um, depression and anxiety my whole life. Okay. I was put on medication for it, and yep. as you know, medication doesn't work for borderline personality disorder no. at it's all. Personality, it's not. <laughs> I think they've started trialing or using maybe some antipsychotics or something to try and manage that's it. That's very new. I this think it's quite new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because for a long time they said that the only it was only behaviour therapy that you could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot, yeah. From from my understanding, a lot of um, people with borderline personality disorder do originally get diagnosed with depression and anxiety because it is yeah. it, it presents mm. quite similarly yeah yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah and bipolar that's another big yes. misconception yes. yeah yeah because yeah. 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 it is the same kind of highs and lows and highs and yeah. lows yeah and it's i think it, in re, in reality it's probably hard to distinguish sometimes between the two you know someone might might fit, uh, fit yeah. both categories and mm. have you tried reading the dsm I have, yeah. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> um, my background, I did an undergrad in psychology a long time ago and um, we we had to learn and memorise the, the diagnostic book. And I, yeah. There's so many crossovers. Like it just, <laughs> some of it just doesn't make sense at all. But, yes, anyway, that's a diversion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. You mentioned that you've got a past life working in pharmacy. What did you do in pharmacy? I'm just so I started actually doing my diploma in beauty therapy, and from there I saw a job advertised at um, a pharmacy in New Zealand where they're looking for someone to run the beauty counters. Okay, mm-hmm. and within about a year of doing that, I realised that I actually was more drawn to the medicinal side mm-hmm. and um, actually making people feel better mm-hmm. in that way. So I started uh, my dispensary training. And then did that for probably 10 years mm. and then came over here. What goes into to being trained to do the dispensing? So a lot of it's got to do with um, accurate data entry and um, knowing the medications and um, just being very, very, very precise. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that where you just, like, count the pills that go yeah. in the box? Yeah. 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 Okay. There's a couple of, like, um, TikToks at the moment of people actually, like, doing that. <laughs> It's, a, okay. it's fun. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's fun. It is actually fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. Yeah, okay. it does seem very interesting. Um, yeah, because there's there's always that tension between doctors and pharmacists because doctors will pres- <laughs> prescribe stuff. Yeah, and then pharmacists will look at the prescription and the say, "Pharmacist you, always knows better." Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, doctors. Yeah. yeah, you can't mix those two drugs yeah. together. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think is it a thing called MIMS or there's a something about contrary indications. So you mm, shouldn't yeah. prescribe this with this because you'll have a a reaction between the two, yeah, you know, yeah. they'll interact. Yeah. So we're yeah. very lucky nowadays. Um, in New Zealand, the systems are, are brought in where if you have a prescription, you have to go back to the same pharmacy mm-hmm. to get that prescription oh, okay. refilled yep. um, to yep. get your repeats. So everyone's history is on that database. So if there is any um, contraindications, that cut red flags come up on the computer straight away. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's a very safe Mm-hmm. Very safe yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. And this is totally left field as well, but I've got to ask you because you're from New Zealand <laughs> and 
you, you would probably know the context behind it, but the smoking ban that they're thinking of bringing in, well, yep. I don't know if it's been approved yet, if it's going ahead, but this is the plan to phase out tobacco being available in New Zealand over, uh, over I don't know, is it 10 years? Um, or? Yeah, so they want to become completely smoke-free. Um, yeah. At the moment, there is a law where you can buy purchased tobacco plants and have them growing in your own yard. So that is something that is definitely gaining momentum for... Um, a certain cohort, I suppose. Okay. Um, tobacco prices are through the roof. Are they the same in New Zealand as they are here? No, they are a lot more expensive. More expensive. Right. Yeah, they are taxed and taxed and taxed. Because we're up to like 40 or 50 bucks a pack here, right? Yeah. Like an average pack. What is it in New Zealand now? Uh, again, it's been, I haven't been back since 2017, yeah. 18. Um, but it was enough for me to know that I couldn't afford a packet and I went okay. and bought a vape mm. because there's vape shops on every corner and nicotine oh, available crazy. vape shops. Yeah, it's different so, to here, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's interesting. Okay. And going even further left field, I'm pretty sure um, it might have been Malaysia have just introduced that like under 17-year-olds will never be allowed to buy tobacco. So this is what the New Zealand policy is yeah. about, right? Is that There's a certain cohort of yeah. people born mm. after a certain date. So there's another that- another country that's done it and it's it's like they've started to turn. 18 of when they should buy and I just right. like I read some news articles on it and I was yeah. like wow so amazing a, if I'm right that people born after a certain year in New Zealand will never be like able to buy tobacco or something. Yeah. and then as time goes on I think because we're in public health we're probably yeah. researching that a lot we're like oh interesting <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't know anyone else that's actually heard of that yeah um, in my circles, yeah. yeah no, it's, it's come I just up. keep knocking things off this oh, table. Sorry, it's a I'm couple sorry. of batteries. Yeah. Keep over. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so just a touch on that. Are you? Do you still smoke, or are you on the vape? Yeah, I yeah. do. Okay. Um, I stopped smoking for a few years, so I left New Zealand. I had my vape, and I was all about the vape. I was a vape crusader. Yeah. yeah. And um, then I went to rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Palmerston Beeler Valley rehab here where mm-hmm. they allow smoking yeah. at a certain time there wasn't any talking while you're having a cigarette stop that sort of culture going okay. and um i thought that i just wanted to be a part of someone again i always feel left out so i went and bought mm-hmm. a pack of cigarettes when we did our shopping trip and mm-hmm. then i was in the smoking crowd yeah. and right. i haven't stopped and oh, okay. i need to yeah okay mm. Yeah, that, that's going to be an ongoing debate about vaping here. I think mm. they're, they're moving more towards it being medically managed. So yes. you'll get prescriptions. Yes, yeah. so they've done that. Yeah, um, okay. You have to have, if you're going to import nicotine juice, you have to have a prescription from your okay. doctor to be, able, to be able to do it. And then, okay. So yeah. Yeah. And is that something you think you'll go back to, vaping, to, to try and quit smoking? or? It just sounds too hard now. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. If yeah. I'm going to go to the doctor for a prescription, I'll probably get patches or, I mean, you can just go to the pharmacy and get them. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Interesting, yeah. Mm. Did you did you find it difficult to give up smoking originally? No. No, okay. No, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it really easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was there was something that you mentioned a, a little while ago, and I've just the questions been brought back into my mind, and I have to ask because I'm very curious. Um, why did you decide to go to a religious rehab? For the first time? Um, the look on my dad's face. Yeah. So everyone had found out what I was doing, that I was using meth. Mm-hmm. I was suicidal. Mm-hmm. My dad moved into my house and slept on a mattress outside my bedroom door for a few weeks to make sure that I wasn't going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And the um, medical care team here at the hospital 
had a contact of somebody that could get me in straight away because with rehabs it's a long wait mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you have to jump through many hurdles and I really mm-hmm. was at crisis point yep. mm-hmm. and these guys said look we can take her next week right and okay. so it's really um, just about my dad availability. just looked at me and said you have to do this yeah mm-hmm. or we're not going to make it yeah and um I did yeah so it's, it's about availability of mm. places yeah okay that's really interesting um mm. and so you did that one and you went to palmerston later yeah. yeah um what were the like main differences between those two oh absolutely everything yeah okay <laughs> cool yeah yeah so i went from this very regimental religious based sector where I really felt like it was being pushed down our throats and I actually when I left mm-hmm. I actually yeah I, I wanted a bible and I wanted to go to church and yep. I, I felt okay. like I'd been converted yeah mm. um I'm not quite there anymore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I think I was just looking for something solid to hold on to yep. mm. and at Palmston at Beela Valley it's a therapeutic community and, and they really work inwards on yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and your own actions and your own thought processes and mm. how everything I do and say affects other people yeah. and my place in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, that's mm. that was a huge difference. Yeah, being yeah. listened to and believed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So for people that uh, might might be in the same position now as you were, you know, at your worst then, was there a sort of a defining moment or a defining um, event that happened that sort of turned you you know down the new a new path i think it was probably the fact that i reached out and honestly on facebook and somebody actually gave me some advice at work so that was going into doors wide open yeah that well that that has that changed my life Mm -hmm. Hmm. um from there there's been lots of steps like going to rehab and and you Mm -hmm. know having a few slip ups and then back again but that just i think it was on ask it answer at bunbury Facebook page, okay. and I, I just put an anonymous look. I'm addicted to to, to meth, and I need some help. Isn't What's it? out yeah. there? Kind mm. of, kind of spiel. But mm-hmm. it is that that reaching out mm. for help, definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly why why we've got doors open yeah. with our after hours phone and yeah. messenger on Facebook. If you want to go, you know, mm-hmm. private, that's yeah. fine. That's mm. been a common theme in the discussions we've had this morning. Mm. Is that that willingness to reach out for help mm. is like yeah. the, one of the biggest barriers. Because mm. a lot of people just yeah. want to sort of tough it out and don't want to admit that they need help or think they yeah. can do it. Oh, I don't own. think that people will understand. Yeah. 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 Well, even yeah. after I did that, mm. I still wouldn't admit that I was an addict. Yeah. I was okay. addicted. I, even I think it was after going through Palmerston, after I'd been clean for about six months, I could finally go, yeah, no, I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a big difference in the language between like, I'm an addict compared to I'm addicted to mm. something. There is, yeah, there's yeah, one's that label. Like labeling you and the other is talking yeah. about the behavior. Mm. You know, yeah. it's, that, it's that whole thing of criticize the behavior but support the person, mm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. that sort of thing, separating yeah. the person from the, from the actions. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Is there anything else you wanted to cover before we wrap up? No? <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I, I don't think so. No. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me on. No, yeah. no, we really appreciate um, hearing yours and, and everyone's stories, yeah. really. it's It's been fascinating, yeah. absolutely fascinating, and, and so many good messages. Yeah, mm. it's great to hear you, you know, doing so well yeah. now and having, having dealt with the stuff that's happened in the past. And, and education with business yeah. and all that kind of and, stuff. And hopefully oh, that so good. benefit mm. of your experience will be felt by other people. You well, know? that's right. And if mm. anyone um, does need help, just reach out. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're there. 
doors wide open. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll have all of the, the links in our, Beautiful. In yeah. our podcasts. Yeah. So. Okay. Thanks very yeah. much, Tanya. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. And that was our conversation with Tanya from Doors Wide Open. Oh, Tanya was really lovely to talk to and so open and it's it's really great to have her experiences out for, for people to listen to, I think. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, some really... I feel like she's done a lot of self-reflection and that sort of thing throughout her the process of her, you know, going through recovery and um, reflecting on drug and alcohol use and... Um, you know, some of the things that have happened in her life. Um, obviously, she, she spoke, you know, quite candidly about being involved in the sex industry um, and, you know, obviously some ups and downs with her relationship, which sounds like it's a pretty healthy relationship and it's, you know, back on track and obviously going through the process of being separated from her own kids and that sort of thing would be quite tough. Um, Absolutely. You know, and being being in from New Zealand and not having been back there for a while, and you know, all that sort of stuff would probably cause a lot of people a bit of stress and anxiety, and um, you know, definitely. And um, I, I think good for her for uh, dealing with and understanding borderline personality disorder as well. Um, I know that it can be quite a struggle with that particular disorder, and a lot of. Uh, myths surround it a lot of stereotypes around it and uh obviously she's doing very well and i think she's learned a lot through her experiences and her disorder has not affected her so much anymore which is really good to see and if anyone's interested in knowing more about borderline personality i think we had a good conversation with dr ron borschman about it in a previous episode so if you go back through and have a look for ron borschman do we know what number that one is um we would have to quickly I'd have check. To look it up, yeah. Which I think you might be in the process of doing. Uh, <laughs> you might be thinking <laughs> the clicking of my keyboard there. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if I can find it. Um, yeah. But it's, it was a really good conversation with Tanya. Yeah, no, it was. Um, and it's great to hear that now that she's been through a lot of that herself, she's able to give back and, um, you know, help other people who might be at the closer to the start of that journey than she is. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as with all of the peer support workers that we've been lucky enough to talk to from Doors Yeah, I think this has just highlighted how lucky we are about the fact that we get to have these conversations with people and kind of learn from other experiences and just meet some fantastic people. Yeah, no, it's been really good. Um, Yeah, yeah, and once again, uh, acknowledgement to Dr. Jane Anderson for helping make this episode possible. Um, Definitely, absolutely. Yeah, it's been excellent um you know putting these episodes out and hopefully you guys listening have been enjoying them as well because it's not every day that you get um you know the opportunity to speak to people who directly have been through it through it themselves now Mm. i have a feeling uh as far as the episodes go i'm just having a look um yeah i can't find it (laughs) yeah because because we i think it's episode 46 so it was a self-harm episode. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And yes, 46. Because yeah. uh, Rowan's actually a, a clinical psychologist as well as being a researcher. And I believe his area is uh, self-harm, his area of practice. That makes so, sense. 
Yeah, and as part of that, we spoke about borderline personality and the characteristics of that illness, and you know what, what how people behave and the challenges that they can pose for those around them. Yeah. So if you uh, want to know more about borderline personality disorder, listen to number forty-six, titled "Self Harm," um, yeah. and there is some information there. And, mm-hmm. and I guess it makes speaking to Tanya all that much more impressive that she's had to deal with a disorder like that and mm-hmm. come through the other side and and as as well balanced and pleasant and whatever to talk to as she is now yeah absolutely now she's a she's in a fantastic position and i think she should really pat herself on the back because they're very resilient all of these people from doors wide open are incredibly resilient people um and they should be proud of themselves yeah all right well <clears throat> if you've enjoyed this episode or if you haven't <laughs> um, but preferably if you have um, yep. get, get in touch with us let us know. So tweet us at health means watch, email us at meaning of health at outlook.com. All the usual um, stuff. Yeah. We just want to chat. We like talking, obviously. Yeah. If you've got something to say or you, th- you think you know someone who might want to come on and have a chat with us, or please get in touch. Or if you want to be on the podcast too. Yep. Exactly. All right. Well, <laughs> that's all for this episode. Thanks very much, as usual, Courtney. Thanks, Greg. And we will be back with you listeners again soon. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the Education Enhancement Unit and the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with editing, mixing and additional music by Craig Cumming. 